uh, that you would give, listen, George and Amy would be a great place to, to uh, invest that money eternally in their mission work. So continue to pray for them, continue to think of them. And uh, if you get a chance, reach out to them. If you need their email address, let me know. Uh, we'll try to get it to you uh, through the website or whatever so that you have it in the future. But uh, even sending them an email just to encourage them and let them know you're praying for them and thinking about them is huge when you're out on the mission field doing that type of, of work with leading people to Christ and, and ministering to them. So the other thing I wanted to bring to your attention that we're celebrating here is our, our Wednesday night life groups. How many of y'all are part of a Wednesday night life group? Awesome, awesome, that is great. Listen, if you're not part of a Wednesday night life group, I would like to encourage you to try to connect to one. If you are unfamiliar with what we have, we have four or five adult classes we have our youth that meet in the youth room, and then we have our children's ministry that meets up in the clubhouse upstairs. So we, we, we have everybody covered for life groups. Everybody has a life group they can be a part of. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, if you have four or five adult life groups, which one do I belong in? You come talk to me and I'll tell you what we have, and then you can go visit one. And if you don't like that one, you can go visit another one. Or you could just say, I'm gonna visit all four or five of them, and when I'm done visiting all of them, then I'll determine where I wanna go and stay permanently. Listen, I want to encourage you to come out and be a part of life groups. That is where you will have the greatest opportunity to connect the people in our church, build relationships, and, and study the Word of God in a, a life group setting in a classroom. So if you're interested in that, we also have booklets on the back table. If you go by the table there, they're, they're sitting there, they're on the book of Isaiah, the, the Lifeway Study Guide. And... Um, you can go by that table, you can take one of those study guides and you can begin to read it to see what they're actually studying in the life groups. So if you go back there to get one and there's not one there, come see me. I have a whole uh, another stack of them and I'll make sure it gets refreshed if I see it empty. But uh, listen, connect to a life group. That, that will help you as you grow in the Lord here at Oak Leaf. So I'm really excited about what God's doing and how he's working. It's really cool to be able to see us come together actually to meet on campus, amen? I'm hearing about churches across our country that are still not meeting on their campuses. They're still only doing live streaming and they're, they're um, really struggling to connect and to be able to keep people together. But I wanna, I wanna thank God and praise him for our opportunities to come here and to, to connect and to be able to worship together. I wanna to encourage you as we worship to continue to take precautions. Use the hand sanitizers we have around. Make sure you wash your hands. Uh, make sure you, if, if uh, be sensitive to notice people's body language. If they're trying to stay away from you, don't, don't get up in their face and talk to them. You know, give them some space so that you're not right on them. And, uh, you know, try to, try to make sure that you make everybody feel comfortable as they're here worshiping and fellowshipping with one another. So listen, we, we this morning, we're going to get into the Word of God. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to start out in Deuteronomy chapter 6, but we have several verses to look at here this morning. Um, you know, when Oakleaf Baptist Church began 20 years ago, we had a group of people that met in a storefront over here on Blanding Boulevard. How many of y'all know where Red Lobster's at? Right there on Blanding, okay? The, the big storefront right next to Red Lobster there uh, across from the mall is the original storefront that Oakleaf Baptist Church started in 20 years ago. Isn't that pretty cool? And God's blessed us and he's, he's allowed us to go from not having a church at all 20 years ago to having this beautiful campus and having two wonderful buildings and to have uh, the people of God meeting here. We, uh, our membership, we run, uh, before COVID, we were running uh, about 350 to 380 people every week here on campus for worship. 
And we're influencing so many people online uh, more than that now because of the opportunities that we're having in our live streaming. So I want you to understand that 20 years ago, there was no church here called Oakleaf Baptist Church. And then Pastor Ball was led by the Lord 20 years ago to start this church. Praise God for Pastor Ball. Amen. Listen, folks, I, I just want to take a moment here and give a commercial. Our pastor is one of the best pastors I've ever had the opportunity to work with. He's not just my pastor, he's my friend. And I want to tell you that to, to know that we have a man of God that takes seriously the Word of God and teaches it verse by verse, expositionally, to show us what God's Word says. And he, he, he comes every week prepared with a heart and prepared with the Word, and he teaches us from the Word of God what God's expectation is for us. Listen, we are blessed here to have the pastor that we have. And I'm telling you, we, we need to make sure we thank God for him. If you're a guest and you're here today, I want to encourage you. I'm Pastor Bill. I'm the associate pastor. Um, pastor Ball will be back next week. I want to encourage you to go ahead and plan right now. If this is your first time here, maybe this is your first time watching online, I want you to connect with us again next week. Pastor Ball will be back and he'll continue his series in Revelation. And uh, I just counted a privilege that he would uh, allow me to, to preach today and to speak to you from the Word of God and want to thank him for that. But 20 years ago, this church started because pastor was burdened to start a church in Oakleaf. There's new development taking place. There weren't very, very many uh, worship services going on out this way, and he felt led to do that. So they met in that storefront, and he began to preach the Word of God and to get a group of people together to start a church. When they started the church, as, as all churches do, there comes a point in time where you have what you call a charter membership. And that charter membership, they, they vote in the constitution and bylaws of the organization. What are, what's our name going to be? What we're going to be about? What do we believe? How are we going to conduct our business? And 20 years ago, the church, Oakley Baptist Church, established itself. If you go look at our doctrinal statement, our bylaws, the first thing in our doctrinal statement bylaws says, we're going to be known as Oakley Baptist Church. It's just like when you were born. They gave you a name, right? Right? Everybody got a name here, right? So it's just like a church. When a church gets born, they're going to give it a name. So the first thing on the list is we're going to name this church Oakley Baptist Church. And then the second thing on the list was the purpose as to why this church was going to be established. Now, when you were born into this world, you got a name and God gave you a purpose. God gave you a reason for being created into this world. That reason would be to love God. God shows his love to you and he wants you to love him. And he brought you into this world and he gave you a will to love him or not to love him. But his sole desire is for you to love him. And he, he tried to do everything he could through Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary to let you know that he loves you and he's looking for you to reach out to him to love him. That's the purpose. Well, in Oakleaf Baptist Church, in our history, as we look at the Constitution and bylaws, there are three things that our charter members discern to be the purpose in why we would have Oakleaf Baptist Church. And this morning, I want to talk about those three things to remind us, to refresh us, to keep us fresh in our minds about why we meet here, why we give to the Lord, why we sing, why we meet and worship, and why we go and tell people about Jesus as we meet here today, I want to uh, make sure that we understand that, that if we don't understand our purpose, if we do not 
embrace it and rehearse it and know what it is, we will lose sight of why we're here. Our church will become more about something that it's not supposed to be if we're not careful. It's very easy for an organization or a ministry to lose sight or to get off track. And we need to make sure that we rehearse these things and make sure that we keep them fresh so that we know that we're doing what God put us here to do. Now, as we look at the Word of God and we study in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, if you have your copy of God's Word, I encourage you to meet me there. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, the Bible has this little passage of Scripture. Now, this passage of Scripture is well known to Jews. It's called the Shema. You want to say it with me? Shema. Let's say it one more time. Shema, okay? Does that make you feel any more Jewish than you did before you said it? Okay, so the Shema is, is the first and foremost law or, or thing that God expects Israel to live out. Now the Shema here, if you read it, it says the Lord our God is one God. Look at verse 4. The Lord our God is one Lord. The Shema, now the word Shema means hear. So in English we say hear, that's why verse 4 starts with hear. But in Jewish culture, in Hebrew, you would say Shema, Shema, listen, hear. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That means that we have no reason to look anywhere else for a God or someone to serve. We have one, and there is none other. So we see here, it continues in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. If you look here, it says that... Uh, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And we see here he says, And these words which I command thee today shall be in thy heart. In Oakleaf Baptist Church, when we were established, the Bible says, or the, or the Constitution says, that we were established to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ through worship and study of the word. We take these verses, if you look at our Constitution and bylaws, we take Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, and we, we kind of assign it to this particular purpose, the first and foremost purpose that we laid out 20 years ago to be our goal and our purpose. That purpose is be exalting the Lord Jesus Christ through worship and study of the Word of God. Now listen, as we look at the Shema here, is what we, we use as our example, and, and our, our lesson, our rule for why we do this from the Scripture, we see that it says that we recognize God as one Lord. There, listen, there should be nothing else greater in our life than God. If you look at this, you see that when Israel, now understand Israelites would recite this morning and evening. This was something that they based everything they did off of, and every day, morning and evening, they would is, what God's expectation is, and how they can know him. So as they look at this and they recite it in their hearts and their minds, they learn this, and this was ingrained in them, this was somewhat like a Jewish pledge of allegiance to God. So as we see this, and we see that it's brought to our church 20 years ago as the first and foremost purpose that we have put in our, our operational documents, we ourselves need to recognize that in all that we do, there is one Lord. That one Lord has an expectation that we love Him with all our heart, all our soul, all our might. 
In that expectation, the way we do it is through reading the Word of God, knowing His Word. He says here in verse 6 that we shall, they shall be in our heart. So as we look at the Word of God and we look at what God says here, we see here that we have these verses that God has given us uh, to the Jews here in Deuteronomy, but it doesn't just stay in Deuteronomy. Flip over to Matthew chapter 22, and let's look at Matthew 22, verse 37. See, Jesus is having a discussion with some of the, the, some of the scribes and religious leaders, and one of the religious leaders, one of the scribes asks him to tell them what the most important commandment is. Now, I know some of you are sitting here thinking, Bill, you used these verses the last time you preached, and I think you used them the time before that too. These are great verses because it's the foundation of the believer's life. And Christ reiterates, he brings it out again. It's not just about the Jewish culture. It's not just about the Jewish life. But the Jews here ask Jesus, these scribes, they ask Jesus and they say, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus' response is the most important commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. As we see here, it's not something that was just an Old Testament teaching. This is something that was fresh in the New Testament and the life of Jesus Christ and how he lived and how he patterned his life. And he's telling us in the word of God that this is good for us too. Listen, folks, as we look at the word of God and we look at our, listen, our constitution and bylaws gives us direction as a church, but it is grounded and based in the scripture. And the scripture gives us the authority and the scripture gives us the instruction as a church to do what we do. And in that, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5, in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, we see here that we have to recognize God for who he is and we need to recognize God and what he desires from us. And that is our love for him and our pursuit of him. So we exalt God by making him first, by pledging our allegiance to him. In doing so, we have the ability to, to express our value to the Word of God and to what the Word of God can do to our life. You say, well, Bill, what can the Word of God do in our life? Well, folks, the Word of God is the instructions we have for everything we ever deal with in life, whether it's a marriage issue, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a relationship issue, whether it's a work issue, whether, it's a, whether it is a, a cultural issue. Listen, every issue in life is addressed in Scripture, and you study, and you apply it, and you work at it, and you know it. And in doing so, we also see in the book of Psalms, we're told that wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word, Psalm 119. The, Psalm 119 also says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. What's the purpose? What is the solution here? The solution is to have a love for God's word so it can direct our lives and it can teach us and we can grow by it. But that only happens through people who understand the importance of who God is and how much his word should mean to us. And we should be putting it, instilling it and memorizing it in our hearts. See, in Oakleaf Baptist Church's 20-year history, we 20 years ago established that our first and foremost purpose was to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ through worship in the Word of God. And we have biblical precedent, we have a biblical teaching that backs up and reinforces why we believe that's so important. How about the next thing we see here in our Constitution and Bylaws? If you look at it, the second thing we see in our purpose is edifying and leading believers towards Christian maturity and ministry. We not only 
looked at the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ through worship and study in the Word of God. But the second thing we see here is edifying and leading believers toward Christian maturity and ministry. I want to ask you to take your copy of God's Word and turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Now I want you to understand, typically I do not preach sermons where I go to different passages of scripture like this, but to go over our church's purpose as we're reviewing today, it's important so we understand what our church charter members were thinking when they established our church and what they had an expectation for the purpose of our church to be. So Hebrews chapter 10, and let's look at verses 24 and 25. The Bible says this there, let us consider one another to provoke one another unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now as we look at this passage of scripture, in light of our charter members and what they said that we need to establish as a second purpose, purpose, and that is edifying and leading believers toward Christian maturity and ministry. How do we do that? They went to Hebrews chapter 10 and they said, this is how we do it. In verse 24 it says, and let us consider one another to provoke. Now, I understand that word provoke is a funny word. Today, we, we use that word provoke or provocation in a negative light. I'm going to provoke Chris to be upset with me. I'm going to say something, I'm going to do something, and he's going to get angry, but I provoked his anger and his wrath. And you don't want to do that. Chris is a really nice guy, but I'm sure his wrath can be quite intense. So um, knowing the people here in this church, I can provoke you. I can say something. I can do something. I can be unkind. I can provoke you to do something that, that, is, that is not nice. But that's not necessarily how it was used here in the book of Hebrews. When we look in the book of Hebrews, we see this word provoke actually is the idea of to call someone to action. It is the idea here to excite someone or call them to action, not in a negative light necessarily, but in a positive light. So as we look at the Word of God in Hebrews 10, we see here it says us to, to provoke. So we are instructed by Paul here, if you believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, we are instructed that we are to provoke, we are to excite, we are to call to action those within the fellowship of believers to first and foremost love. Look at what it says here. In verse 24, unto love. Love. I looked at this love and I, I, I begin to define and read different definitions of what they say love is. Love is the idea of, of being deeply concerned with someone else's welfare. Whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically, whether, whether it's spiritually, love is exhibited through a deep connection, a deep desire to see someone else be better taken care of or in a better position or to, to, to express love to them is to see their well-being as being important to you. So the Bible says that we're to provoke, we're to call out one another, to excite one another, to love, to have the desire to see others have better welfare and better life. As we look at this, we see that we should have compassion in that love. Listen, love is going to exhibit compassion. Think about this, the grace of God. The grace of God is something that pursued us because he loved us. So love is one of those things that, that exhibits compassion. It exhibits grace. It exhibits the idea here that we are loved 
by the same grace that bound Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary. I want you to consider the covenant love that God made with us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God made a covenant with mankind that he sent his son and he said, my son is going to take the sins of the world onto himself so that they might be redeemed and be reconciled to me. He made the covenant that he made it available. Now it is up to mankind and their free will to choose whether they're going to accept that love from God or they're going to reject it. But understand whether we accept or reject God's love, his grace and his compassion doesn't go away. It's still there. I want you to consider, we all have circumstances, we all have afflictions, we all have hardships, we all have uh, sometimes bad attitudes and difficult personalities. All these things, the infirmities and, and maybe even sin that we deal with in our life are things that affect our relationships around us. And do you know in, the, in, in affecting those relationships around us, it can affect sometimes whether people love us or not. But the word of God is telling us that we are to provoke one another to love, to, to the grace, to the compassion. And the love is not expressed only through people who behave wisely and good and kind and nice to us. That love that's expressed needs to be expressed even to those who are difficult to get along with and who have bad attitudes and who, who need more grace maybe than others or who maybe have infirmities or health issues that cause them to be cranky or, or ill and, 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 and unkind. See, the idea here is that we're, we're to provoke one another in love. That is, that we are to extend grace to those around us, not because they're nice and loving to us. If we're going to love like Jesus loved, Jesus loved us even when we were yet sinners, right? So in the process of loving others, we have got to recognize that we have got to love one another with that same grace and that same compassion, even when the person isn't doing what helps us. Now, looking at this passage of Scripture, talking about love, I want you to consider this. Look, look at John, if you have your Bible, John chapter 13, verse 34. The Bible says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Then he says in verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Now, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, this is a rhetorical question. How many of you in your church life has heard it preached that if we want the world to know that the love of God is in us, then we need to love the other people in our church? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand, but we're taught that. I've heard it, I've heard it from pulpits throughout my life, through Sunday school classes throughout my life. Listen, if we want the world to know what God's love looks like, then we as church people need to love one another. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I have a question. Did Jesus just love the church? No. He loved the world. And what he's telling us here in, in the book of, of, of Hebrews, when we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves and we're supposed to provoke one another to love, we're supposed to provoke one another, encourage one another, call each other up to love like Jesus did. That means that person that lives in our society that does something that totally appalls you and turns your stomach, we have to love them the way Jesus loves them. It doesn't mean we have to like what they do. It doesn't mean we have to support what they do. It doesn't mean we have to agree with what they do. It means we have to love them. We have to show grace and compassion and care 
We have to love them the way Jesus would. Now I want you to consider this. How did Jesus love you? Uh, we were all seeking Jesus and had gotten all the bad stuff out of our life. And then we came to him and said, hey, I'm good now and you can save me. Is that what we did? No, we had to recognize that we were sinners and our sins separated us from God and condemned us to hell. And in that process, we looked at Jesus and he said, I don't care, I love you anyway. I love you despite of your addictions. I love you despite of your poor attitudes. I love you despite of your language. I love you in spite of your, uh, of your, uh, of your pornography and your alcoholism. I love you in spite of your hatred. I love you in spite of your bigotry. I love you in spite. Listen, fill in the blank. Look at the, what the Bible says sin is. And God loves us even though we have that. Even though it turns his stomach. Even though it's opposed to everything that he is. He still loves us. And he loved us so much that he gave his son, John 3, 16, to, to go to a cross and to take all that stuff he hates. And it was put on Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Not because Jesus had to, but because Jesus wanted to because he loved me. I put him on that cross. And if you're honest with yourself, you put him on that cross. Our sin nailed him and put him on that cross, and he took that sin on him, the things he hates and despises and, and, and dishonor him and are against him. He took them on himself to pay for it so that we could be redeemed to God. He loved us that much. Now, my question for our church is, it's great if we can love one another, people who use the same Bible and sit in the same auditorium and sing the same songs. I have a question for you. Can we love people enough to go out and love the person who struggles with their sexual identity? Can we go out and love somebody who's in a gutter on drugs and strung out and needs help? Can we love somebody enough that their family has fallen apart because of bad behavior in their life and they're just mean and nasty? Can we love them and show them the love of God the way God loved us even when we were unlovable? That's what Hebrews is telling us here, that we provoke one another to love. Love is not bound by a church building or an organization. Love ought to be in the heart of every believer who carries the name of Jesus anywhere in this world. So we see here that we are provoked to love. Not just loving the church, loving all mankind and seeing their need for Jesus Christ and loving them to Jesus. How about the second thing we see here? It's not just about provoking to love. It's also about provoking to good works. Now, understand when we provoke one another to good works, these good works aren't works that help us be saved. You can't help you be saved. Amen? Come on, somebody got to talk to me here. Thank you. We can't do anything. There's no work of righteousness that we can do that causes us to deserve our salvation. Amen, amen, amen. We deserve, if justice were served, if life were fair, if God were fair, we would spend an eternity in hell. In hell. Thank God that he's not fair. Amen? He sent Jesus. And in sending Jesus, in sending Jesus, we can accept Jesus Christ is our Savior. And when we do that, we ought to have a life that lives in obedience to God's Word. 
and we're obedient to God's word because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and we've accepted him into our life. We, we, we are obedient because we've come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're not obedient to be a believer. We're obedient because we're a believer. So when we look in the scriptures here and we provoke one another to good works, understand these good works aren't saving works. These good works are the obedience that we ought to live in as believers in Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, the Bible says, Ye are the light of the world. A city on the, uh, that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Why? So they can think you're a good person? Absolutely not. He says, let your light so shine before them that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are to provoke one another to do good works so that as people see the things that we're doing to help people in this world, the people that are unlovely, the people that are unkind, the people that, are, that, that can't help themselves, the people that need Jesus Christ, as we help them, people look at us and say, why would you help that person? And we can say, because he helped me when I was unlovely. Because he helped me. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me, and let me tell you what Jesus did for you. And through that, we can allow people to glorify our Father that's in heaven because now they understand why we do the good works that we do. It's not because we're good people. We're all filthy sinners saved by the grace of God. But in our grace that we've been saved, we exhibit our grace in our lives to others who need it also. Listen, the good works ought to be provoked amongst the believers for those not just in the household of faith but outside of these walls and in the world so we see here that the bible says not forsaking the assembly if you look in the in the hebrews chapter 10 at the next verse here not forsaking the assembly ourselves together as a manner of some is this idea of not forsaking the assembly by neglecting to meet together they missed out on the opportunity to provoke each other to love and good works see this is how it works the, the church is here. We don't forsake our assembly. We don't avoid the assembly. We don't neglect the assembly because when we're here, the purpose is that we encourage. We become cheerleaders for one another to love. We become cheerleaders and we encourage one another to do those good things that people need in their life. Even when it's hard, we cheer and encourage and we build one another up so that we, we pour into people that are unlovely and need Jesus. And in doing so, we can point them to our Father which is in heaven but the problem is if you forsake the assembly, you're not part of the provoking one another to love and good works. You miss the opportunity to encourage others and you miss the opportunity for you to be encouraged to do these things. He says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Let's look at that. I want you to consider in the time frame historically where Paul writes the book of Hebrews, that as the manner of some is, why do you think people in Paul's day would have been avoiding church or neglecting church or not going to church? I would like to submit to you four things. Four things that would keep people from going to church in Paul's day. The first thing is for fear of repercussion. In their own lives, people treating them badly, or in their business lives. If I identify with the church and I go to the church's gathering, then I am going to face persecution in one way or another 
for attendance and being a part of it. How about the second thing in Paul's day? You may see they were, maybe it's people that, that though they came to faith in Christ, they weren't interested in church. Eh, it just doesn't interest me. It could be a reason in that day. How about the third thing? They doubted the necessity to be in church. They doubted the necessity for believers to gather together. Now, I want you to understand this. Whether they doubted the necessity or not, the reality is God instructs and God encourages the church to fellowship with one another and to be together and to encourage one another. So even though they felt like it may have been necessary, God said it was and they should have just lived in obedience to God. How about the last one? They get disenfranchised or irritated with the preacher or the leadership or maybe other members. Well, I'm mad at them, so I'm not going to go to church. I don't like what they said. I'm not going to go to church. Listen, in the day that Paul wrote this, the people of his day, these are reasons why they legitimately may have neglected to go and be part of the assembly of God. Does it sound any different than what we experience today with believers who fall away from church? It sounds just like it. Listen, folks, if your relationship with God and, and, and you struggle in that relationship that you in your life get to the place where you don't feel like you can go to church because of the preacher or because of the leadership or because of someone in that congregation, first of all, I pray that you can find the place where you can forgive and overcome that obstacle in your life of carrying resentment and heartache. But in doing so, it might be difficult to get beyond the forgiveness and get to the reconciliation factor. And you may be able to forgive, but reconciliation and having an open communication that is un no tension or irritation in it may be difficult for you to find even though you've forgiven. And you may have to find another place to go to church so that you can relax and let the Spirit of God work in your heart and mind. Listen, I want to encourage you. Don't come to the place in your life where you neglect the and you forsake the assembling of God's people because you're afraid of repercussions from people or you're afraid that people are going to think different of you or because you are just not interested or because you don't think it's important or because because you get mad at the preacher or the leaders or, or another member of the church and you decide on your own, I'm just going to disconnect from church. I don't need that. Listen, you are not living in obedience to God if that is your attitude. You need to get right. Ask God to forgive yourself and your heart. You need to offer forgiveness to whoever it was you're offended with, even if they might not even be aware that you're offended. And you need to either go back to church where you're at or go find a church where you can worship God. Amen. You might not agree with me, but the Word of God says it. I know we don't like it sometimes, but that's what it is. Forsaking the assembly. Forsaking the assembly. Listen, in this day and age as we deal with COVID, we have a lot of people that watch on live stream. And we understand that because of the, the COVID disease and, and all that's going around, that you're trying to protect yourselves and you're taking time in your life to, to sit down and, and connect with the church the safest way you can. Listen, there's a difference between connecting with the church in a safe way and feeling connected and, and staying in relationships, communicating with people. There's a difference in that and someone that says, I don't need church for this, that, or the other reason. Folks, we've got to understand the importance 
that we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as we see the day approaching. Understand that these believers lived in this day and age where in two years from the time this is written, Rome is going to fall. Or Rome is, there's going to be just, just, just all kinds of devastation in their region. They were probably already facing religious persecution. And I have to hurry for time's sake, but the reality is our church, the second thing in our purpose statement, the second thing in our purpose statement is edifying the saints for ministry and in their relationship with God. How about the third thing? And we have to go through this quickly. I won't spend very much time on this, but it's probably one of the most important out of all of it. And that is sharing the good news of the gospel with our neighbors in the world. Listen, folks, when they established our church 20 years ago, they determined that exalting God, edifying one another and evangelizing the world were the three key purposes for our organization and what we ought to be doing. If you look here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Go ye therefore. Go means to travel. Go means you don't stay. Does that make sense? You can't go if you're staying. If you're staying, you're not going. The idea here is that we take Jesus Christ somewhere other than where we're at. Does that make sense? So the idea here, first and foremost, we understood the necessity to go. To go what? To teach. The word here is, that, that's used here for the word teach is methoo. Uh, methoo is translated to disciple or to tell somebody how to be a disciple. So we go and we tell people how they can do this. Then the next thing is that we baptize them. The point of baptism. The baptism is the word whelmed. You ever been overwhelmed? That means you've been covered over in something that you felt like you were drowning. You were submerged in it. That's the idea of baptism, that we go out and we signify baptism. What is the purpose? Baptism, as we do it in immersion, it first identifies you with Jesus Christ because Jesus was baptized, right? The second thing it does is identifies you with the church because historically the church has used baptism as an identify, identification with Jesus Christ. So you identify with the rest of the believers when you go up in front of them and you say, I'm going to be baptized and you get baptized. Baptism does not save you. It just shows that in your heart you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit and now in your life outside the flesh you are showing that heart baptism totally submerged in the Spirit of God with your life baptism being submerged in the water. As we do this, it does not wash your sins away to be baptized in water. It does not make you a better Christian to be baptized in water. It just says, I'm going to live in obedience to God and identify with Jesus in the church. So as we go out, as we go and we tell people how to become disciples and we baptize them, we get to the next thing here, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Teaching, didasco is the word there. That is to teach somebody the truths or tenets, to instill doctrine, to impart instruction. A different word than what's used in teaching verse 19, I think is very interesting. Then he says, I am with you always. God is with us always. Listen, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says, What? Know ye not that the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, when you come to a place where you say, Jesus, I accept that you took my sins on you on the cross of Calvary. 
And I thank you for that. And I want to ask you to forgive me for my sin. I know that I'm a sinner. I want you to come into my life, Jesus, and I give my life to you. Listen, when you come to that place where you, in faith, come to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residency in your body. You become the temple of the Holy Ghost. You become the temple, the living place where God, we, we call it, God puts his earnest, his down payment on you for eternity, and it's called the Holy Spirit. And he's in you and he'll never leave you. As we look in the scriptures and we see here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we have to understand that that spirit that lives within us is never going anywhere. And every believer that comes to faith in Jesus Christ will experience the spirit of God's work even to the end of the world. And he's not going anywhere in every believer's life. Listen, the idea here is that we as believers need to share the good news of the gospel with our neighbors and those around the world. But folks, the only way we're able to do that is if we go. we got to go. So 20 years ago, when Pastor Ball was led by God to start Oakleaf Baptist Church, and when the charter membership got together, and they organized, and they said, listen, we're going to be called Oakleaf Baptist Church. Oh, we are, yes. Well, what is going to be our purpose? Our purpose is going to be to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ through worship and the study of the Word. We're going to know God's Word, and we're going to worship Him. The second thing is our purpose is we're going to edify the leading believers towards Christ and Christian maturity and ministry. And the third thing is we're going to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our neighbors and the world. We've kind of consolidated this into the idea of learning God's word, loving God and others, and living out our faith. Guys, I want to encourage you today. Oakleaf Baptist need not lose sight of why we were established. We need to be reminded, not because we have gotten off track, but we need to be reminded regularly to stay on track. Amen? We need to be reminded that we're here to have a passion to know this book. We need to be here and reminded of how we need to love and do good works, not just to the people we love sitting next to us in worship, but to the people who are out there that oppose our worship. We need to love them. And not only that, but we need to love them enough to see they need Jesus. That we need to take Jesus to them and be Jesus to them so they can see the good works in our life and trying to help them even though they don't like us. And in doing so, we can point them to God and tell them about Jesus and the cross and they can have an opportunity to accept Jesus as their Savior as well. Listen, folks, our church has a tremendous purpose to it. That purpose requires us to stay focused individually and corporately. And I want to encourage you today as we continue to move forward, don't lose focus on why God put us here and why God puts you here. And let's live out our faith in such a way where Oakleaf Baptist Church continues to see people saved and baptized and discipled and the kingdom of God continues to move forward and grow through our outreach. That's our desire. That's our goal. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for...